Hello and welcome to One Trick Peony Podcast, a podcast all about gardening in Scotland. Ah yes, Scotland, a land of sunshine and glorious weather, except it's not. It's cold, it's miserable and it's raining and quite often that also applies to summer too. However, I love my garden, I love getting out into it and I actually love podcasting about it as well. So in today's episode, we'll be discussing what I'm I'm planning to grow and sow and tell you what's currently going on in my propagator. I'll be looking at some of the things that I like to listen to, again, all to do with gardening. And I'll also be taking a look at no-dig gardening method. Is it all it's cracked up to be? Well, if you're interested in any of this, I would love to have your company for the next 20 minutes or so on One Trick Peony Podcast. Whilst we're not um, right in the heart of seed growing season, uh, that probably starts next month in March, there are things you can get on with sowing in your garden, particularly if you've got a propagator. I invested in a legendary propagator this year, a Garland Super 7, um, and so far the results have been good with it. Um, It's a long tree-like propagator with seven um, smaller trays that sit inside, and each comes with its own clear hood and um, never used it up until this year um, and so far so good but let me tell you about what i've got in it at the moment well for outside um, i've got a packet of dahlia mignon mixed or m-i-g-n-o-n mignon or mignon i'm not terribly sure how you pronounce that it's a half-hardy perennial but it's better grown as a half-hardy annual and it's great for attracting bees and pollinators into your garden. It flowers the same year as you sow. Um, and it's a dwarf dahlia. It grows um, roughly to about a height um, and spreads about 60 centimetres. So it's ideal for the urban gardener. It comes in a mixture of colours, whites, pinks, reds, yellows. Um, and it's a single dahlia. And I'm very much looking forward to having this in the garden. Um, It came with a magazine subscription, a free packet of seeds, so that even uh, makes things better, being a candy scot. I also love sweet peas and I started growing some sweet peas in the autumn. Um, This year I'm using a variety Unwinds Seeds, uh, Unwinds Signature Blend Sweet Peas. An elegant wavy bloom, highly scented it says on the pack. So I planted some in the autumn 
and I think it got about 50% germination with them. Sweet peas can take a little while to germinate, or at least that's my experience. Um, now is a good time um, to get them out uh, in the greenhouse under cover if you're going to sow them. I sow them in um, rescued toilet roll tubes, these cardboard tubes. They're ideal um, as root trainers. And I use seed compost, a sieved seed compost. I don't tend to put any perlite in it with for sweet peas in particular. They're kind of tough as old boots, eh, as long as you give them some protection. So the first load I did in, I think it was October, and about 50% germination. Um, I sowed some more end of January, early February. Um, four, four more, and only one so far has germinated. Um, and I was on the verge of thinking about throwing them out um, when I saw one germinating, so I'll leave them a bit longer. I sowed some more maybe about 10 days ago, mid-February. Um, and again, there's nothing yet. So I'm kind of hopeful. Um, sometimes with these things, it's a bit of luck. Um, I haven't done anything different from what I've done previous years. I've always had good success in growing sweet peas. So I'm assuming that they will come. I kind of hoped for a bit more return on, than 50% in the first swing. Um, but I've got good, healthy, strong plants. And that's the advantage of growing them that wee bit earlier in October. Um, they don't grow huge, but you get them out earlier or they can flower earlier in the garden, I should say. Um, and they're good sturdy plants. I've also been inspired to try and grow some house plants this year. I've been listening to a lady called Jane Perrone in her podcast, uh, On the Ledge, which I'll talk about in a future episode. Um, and she has this thing that she does called So Long, where basically she encourages all the listeners um, to plant some house plant seeds and support each other and share tips with each other. And you can you can check her out on the internet uh, janeprone.com So I'm going to go for Cape Primroses this year um, Dibley's Pink Bouquet F1 Hybrid and they were sown um, almost two weeks ago now um, and they're sitting in the propagator there's nothing to show yet but um, it does say they can take a little while um, before germination uh, although I kind of hope it's fairly soon um, I'm going to one something called Fatsia, Fatsia japaconia, which I already have in the garden, a large a shrub, which does really well um, in a shady spot. They're, they're tough as old boots, um, but you can also grow them as house plants. They, they, you can grow them in a smaller pot. They don't go quite so big. Um, and again, that tells me, the pack tells me, germination is between one and three months. So uh, again, there is nothing there yet. One thing that has um, germinated really well, it looks like every seed that I received has germinated, uh, are the Pelargoniums um, Horizon, Horizon Pink Passion Mixed. Um, they, again, along with the dahlias, uh, germinated very, very quickly indeed, and are looking healthy and strong, uh, and are big enough to prick out and put into individual pots. These are not um, garden plants, uh, although you might be able to keep them out uh, in the summer. Um, they are quite tender. Um, they grow to about 40 centimetres, that's just over a foot, um, and these ones will be pink. Um, so I think I've got about 10 or 12 seedlings in the tray, 
and uh, I'll keep some and I'll give some as gifts. Never grown them before. This is the first attempt at growing houseplants. So I'm quite pleased that they've germinated and seen a return. But of course, with all things gardening, patience is the key, isn't it? What I use as a potting mix, uh, I use a good seed compost. Uh, and I usually use two parts compost to one part perlite. I find seeds like that open a gritty style compost works very well for them. Good drainage and uh, perlite helps retain some of the moisture. So there we go. I will keep you updated. Um, I'm going to have a look at seed catalogues and see what else uh, I can plant. Um, I've got other packets of seeds which will probably grow, start growing next month. That is March. Um, and I'll come back and tell you about that. And most of these will probably be under glass because in, in Scotland you really need to for a lot of plants. If you want an early start, um, you really need to get them under glass because we can have frosts right up until May, um, which can just decimate your seedlings. Anyway, that's what is going on in my propagator and I'll keep you updated. It's been a strange year weather-wise. It started very, very cold here. Temperatures about minus 10, which I realise where maybe some parts of the world is um, balmy. But here in our part of Scotland, that is but it's cold as it gets. Uh, a lot of ice and snow that seemed to take its time to go. So I found jobs in the garden had to be postponed. One job that I normally do uh, right about the end of January is prune my fruit trees. I have three apple trees, one uh, a Braeburn, uh, a full size one, and two mini ones, which I'm afraid I don't know. Pruning this year has been put back. Uh, I got around to doing it maybe about a week ago, early February, which is about a bit later than I would normally do it. But reading up on it, I see a lot of people say you do it when you can. Uh, I didn't feel it was a good idea to prune um, in the midst of fairly harsh frosts, frosts that might destroy the buds, um, but I have taken the risk. Since that really cold spell, we've had a bit of cold weather, but generally it's been pretty mild, windy and wet, so I'm fairly confident that the trees will survive. What I've noticed in the garden, though, there's a few plants that have suffered. I had a salvia hotlips in the front. I'm pretty sure that looks like it's dead, which is a shame. I know salvias aren't fully hardy, but this one survived three, four years in my garden. Um, but I think that really cold spell uh, did it in for it, I'm afraid. I have a Philadelphia, some milk orange. It's looking a bit worse for wear, and I'll go out and prune that back. There's some frost damage to that. And a Hebe, um, which has grown fairly large in my back garden. Um, again, is looking a bit worse for wear, but I think a little bit of pruning and it will do okay. I'll leave that next, till next month, though. One job I should have done in October but never got around to doing was really to do some maintenance on the pond. The pond is not big. Um, it's about a metre by a metre. Uh, it's like an oval-shaped pond. Um, I have a couple of yellow flag irises um, which are showing signs of new growth and I cut away old and decaying leaves from that. Um, I also have some other plants, water primroses, um, which I chopped away the dead 
parts of as well. I don't see any growth at the moment, but that's not mean does doesn't mean to say that it won't grow. So we'll see what happens with that. Other than that, it's really been tidying up. I've talked already in the podcast about sowing seeds. Um, I've been basically gathering leaves, um, tidying up. It, the ground is a combination of, of really hard to manage at the moment. If it's not frozen solid, it is basically a quagmire as it is uh, just now. So digging isn't really an option. So I've just been gathering up some leaves, which again I should have done in the autumn, but never got around to doing. Um, tidying up, pulling out le- th- uh, pulling out perennial weeds where I see them, um, and just making sure everything is okay. Next month in March, things will gather pace. Days getting a bit longer, temperature getting a bit warmer, and um, there'll be a lot more to do. But at the moment, it's that kind of basic maintenance. One thing I did do, uh, I have this lovely broom in the back garden. It's a salmon pink kind of colour. Um, and when we had a lot of snow, it almost unearthed it. The weight of snow on it pushed it right forward. Uh, and it was at a somewhat jaunty angle, almost 45 degrees to the ground. I managed to uh, secure it to a fence post, a nearby fence post, to give a bit of support, um, which was worked for a couple of weeks. But this morning, I see that the storm we had last night has pushed it back over again so this afternoon i'll nip out and tie it up again i think the string they used must have broke um so yeah so that's it looking forward to the garden looking forward to sowing some more seeds getting out and doing one or two wee bits of tidy up jobs one job i am doing um is really just going through the rubbish um that seems to accumulate in the garage in the shed in the glass house and the garden and a trip to the dump is on the cards. Gardeners, easy going, slow to anger, happy go lucky. Well, yes, probably true most of the time, but like everybody else, they have their disagreements and there are controversies in the gardening world as there are in pretty much every other sphere of life. Just have a look on Twitter or Facebook or any social media platform for that matter and you'll see somebody with a contentious issue about gardening. All it takes is for one famous gardener to say, I don't like geraniums or I don't like this plant or that plant, by the way, nothing against geraniums. And then there is a veritable storm of controversy and argument. And when it has began to excite people and create a lot of discussion, is this idea of no-dig gardening. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? No-dig gardening. Gardening for the 21st century. Well, what is it? How does it work? And should you do it? Are there drawbacks to it? Well, I've been thinking about this for a little while. And I had a quick look into it and I thought I would share some of my thoughts on no-dig gardening. In the United Kingdom, a man called Charles Dowding, a market gardener, has really popularised this idea of no-dig gardening. And he's got it to work for him wonderfully well. I believe he's a market gardener and he produces fantastic produce. Although 
though the gardening has been around for a while, books and articles were published as far back as the late 1940s in the United Kingdom, extolling this idea of don't dig your garden. Though dig gardening is essentially a method of cultivating the soil that allows natural organic matter and the processes that is contained in that to feed, enrich and even heal your soil. It's got the great advantage of not having to be dug, as the title suggests. Hours and hours digging and breaking down lumps of clay, you might be familiar with that. So no dig gardening might sound the solution to all your gardening nightmares. If you've got heavy clay soil like I have, you will know how hard work digging is. To prepare for a no-dig area of your garden, ideally, first of all, you want to put something down that will suppress any weeds that are already in the soil. Ideally, something organic, because the whole idea behind no-dig gardening is to work with nature to use organic stuff. So you can put straw or cardboard down, I suppose, anything to suppress the weeds. By denying perennial weeds that are perhaps lying dormant in the soil, you're denying them light and water that they need, so they will hopefully just die in the ground. And that reduces the amount of weeds you have to deal with straight away. And that can't be a bad thing. Added on top of this, you'll need considerable quantities of organic material, compost, rotted manure, leaf mould, all these sort of things. And these are added on top of your barrier layer and that is what you garden on. Of course, the barrier there breaks down into the ground, so there is no trace. So what does this actually do? Well, in your garden, in your topsoil, there's a natural cycle of bacterial, fungal and animal life that break all this down into soil that creates an ideal medium to grow in. Also, because you're not digging, particularly in wet or heavy soils, you're not damaging the sometimes fragile soil structure that's really needed to allow plants to grow. If you've got heavy clay soil, you will know it's sometimes hard for seeds to poke through or, or roots to work their way through that heavy clay. So you're essentially copying how nature makes topsoil and you're hopefully speeding up the process. Less weeds, organically friendly, less work, a lot less digging. Sounds ideal, doesn't it? There's a lot going for it. There certainly is, but it does have some drawbacks. First of all, if you are to lay over your garden, the whole garden to no dig gardening, depending on the number of open borders you have, you're going to need an awful lot of organic compost to top up your soil. Plus, to keep on topping up that, to ensure that whole natural process of it being broken down and created into topsoil keeps going. Ideally, you need about five centimetres, which is about two inches of organic material. Now, that's an awful lot to produce from a compost bin. It's an awful lot to source. And even if you have a small garden, chances are you'll probably have to buy some in and keep buying to make sure the process keeps working. Anything that reduces digging is good, right? 
But don't be fooled into thinking that no dig gardening is some kind of no effort type of gardening. You have to transport the compost, you have to lay it, you have to rake it out. There will still probably still, I guarantee you, there will be weeding to be done despite your barrier. And when once it's all down, it's not a case of no weeds dare grow on it. There are airborne weeds. So weeding will take up some of your time, although it should be greatly reduced. So will it work for you? Does it work for me? I think if you have a contained area, this might be a really good solution. A lot of vegetable gardeners use this, and if you've got set out raised vegetable beds, for example, then the cost of compost needed or the amount that you have to make is kept to a minimum. I did a quick calculation about the open border areas in my own garden where I would have to put compost, and I would estimate it would take roughly about £300 a year in buying organic material to spread at 5 centimetres. That's a considerable outlay, even though I produce my own. I'll never be able to produce enough. If you also you have heavy clay soil, then digging in organic material will pay dividends. It has hard work. It is a thankless task. But I have seen a couple of my borders improve in terms of texture and drainage by simply digging organic material a couple of times a year. It doesn't take very long to make a little bit of difference. So for me, I think on a large scale, no dig gardening in my house is not really an option. That's not to say I don't like the idea. I certainly do, and I see a lot of merit in it. I think I will taste it on a small border and then compare it to others to see how the plants grow, to see how many weeds are actually suppressed. And I'll certainly come back to this and let you know. A lot of vegetable growers love this method and you can see why. If you grow veg and raise beds, if you grow veg and raise beds, and if you have a good friable soil, a nice open and sandy mixture, then I think no dig gardening could well be a winner for you. So if you try it, let me know how you get on. And I'll certainly come back to this subject later on. Thank you.